Hey, here's a, here's a question for you, kind of a quiz uh, on what you just heard. Uh, Claudette and Min uh, shared that testimony about healing. Uh, they were just sitting in an Ohana group together, and Claudette gets this feeling, go sit by that woman's feet and, and put your hands on her feet, not knowing why. And Claudette, to her credit, uh, got, got up and, and did it. My question is this. In doing that, was Claudette not taking herself too seriously or taking herself seriously? What was she doing? She was taking herself seriously? Yeah. Both? <laughs> yeah. Sort of getting over herself and taking herself seriously simultaneously, something like that? Yeah. That's what I was thinking about when they were sharing. A uh, cool story. This morning, I want to talk about the spirit of eh. Everybody say eh. Yeah, which, is, which is pretty much the spirit of eh, whatever. Everybody? Eh, whatever. Which is sort of like the spirit of eh, we'll see. Do you guys know that spirit? I think it's a tremendously powerful spiritual entity in the world and something that uh, we all probably fight against in our life. I want to talk about the spirit of eh, and I want to kill it because I think that it's a killer. Uh, we just had this all-church retreat a couple weeks ago, and we did this exercise uh, where we sort of uh, formulated uh, a pathway to purpose uh, for ourselves in our life, and we got done with that. And then the first thing we did, we did a little exercise in removing limits. How many of you who went to the retreat uh, remember the exercise about removing limits? So limits, uh, the, the limits that we're talking about is the limits that we tend to put on ourselves. Now, there are all sorts of legitimate challenges in life, but often we respond to challenges by constructing internal limits for our, ourselves. And, and we often formulate them in the form of two statements, T-O-O statements. Some of them will probably be familiar to you. Oh, well, you know, I live out my purpose, but my life is too busy. Everybody's life is too busy. Uh, or my situation is too challenging. Or my bank account is too dry. Or uh, my, my friends are too problematic or my, my spouse is too introverted and grumpy. I'm, I'm just making that one up. It doesn't happen in my house. Um, we, have, we have two statements, right? And some of them even more personalized. Well, you know, I'm, I'm too fat and out of shape. I'm too uh, unattractive. I'm too important to do this. You know, they can be narcissistic two statements as well, but they come across in a... They, they manifest in an eliminating fashion. So let's do an exercise. Let's take three minutes, grab your smartphones or your bulletin or a pencil and whatever. And, and I just want you to think about this. Those of you who are at the retreat have probably done this exercise already. What are the limits that you put on yourself? What are the two statements that come out of your mouth, that come out of your heart, that stifle you? Three minutes. Let's go. What, what stops you? If there's a repeated way that chaos comes against you, repeated patterns in your life, repeated patterns of crises or sins or stuff like that, you probably have a two statement that goes along with that.
my life is too, my situation is too, my pastor is too. My wardrobe is too. My career path is too. School is too. God is too. All right, start to wrap it up. All right. So if you did that exercise, how many of you in like 15 seconds had a two statement to write down? Yeah, you put a, it, it often, we know, even if we don't know, we kind of know. We do this, yeah, you know, I'm saying this all the time, and it feels like a burden. You've probably got some way to rationalize it and to make it seem true to you, but you know that this is the internal blockage that you put up for yourself. Anybody want to share any responses? The thing about these two statements is that they, they kind of go to the core of us a little bit. They get personal really fast. But how many, how many, who had one that they'd like to just kind of shout out in front of hundreds of people? You know, my life is too, or my situation is too, in order for me to pursue my purpose. Who's got one? I'm too introverted. I know nothing about that one. That's, yeah. I'm, I'm too scared, which is interesting. And the follow-up question would be, you're too scared of what? You're too scared of being embarrassed. Well done. He just took that right at the enemy there. He's like, so I'm going to say it in church. Beautiful. Any more? Yeah, quack. I'm too, uh, I'm too afraid of failing. I'm too afraid of failing. Yeah. And there's probably, with a statement like that, there's tons that go with it, right? You know, I'm, I'm too afraid of failing. I'm too afraid of failing again. I'm too afraid of failing in front of. I mean, all sorts of ways that a statement like that becomes powerful and personal, right? Great. Any others? I'm too inexperienced. Great. Yeah. The old I'm not ready yet category in life. Oh, that's a big killer. Yeah. What else? These are great. I'm too tired. Yes. And that's interwoven with all sorts of other things, right? I'm too tired. I'm too busy. I'm too old, not you, me, um, sure, yeah, beautiful statements, you get, you get the hang of it. What, whatever our limits are in life are, are two statements, the, the things that, that we embrace in order to limit ourselves, to protect ourselves, or to excuse ourselves, or whatever, whatever they are, uh, they are often overlaid. They're often wrapped up in a spirit of eh, uh, which is a spirit that, that keeps us from taking ourselves seriously. Now when I, when I say taking ourselves seriously, I want to understand that in a certain way because we often take our feelings very seriously. We take our discontents very seriously, our desires very seriously. We often take our comfort very seriously. Uh, but we often don't take our lives very seriously. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Um, we, uh, we learn uh, unhelpful lessons about the world and we develop uh, habits or um, desire to protect ourselves, uh, to keep ourselves from having to risk too much or to work too hard. And in that way, we, we stop taking ourselves seriously. We, we, 
stop taking our importance and our significance as seriously as we should. The spirit of, eh, or the spirit of whatever, or the spirit of, oh, maybe, that spirit is a stronghold for all of chaos's favorite weapons in life, vagueness and delay, um, distraction, false comforts. It's the spirit of, oh, oh, oh maybe. Uh, we'll see. And that's, in that spirit, we just give away well, we give away our purpose when we give into it. Uh, one of my uh, favorite things to do uh, as a leader of Blue Water Mission is to watch people enter the, the church and experience being taken seriously. I see that all the time. And light just goes off in, in people's faces. Uh, people walk in and, and other people here uh, take them seriously. They take interest in them. They take interest in their struggles or in their questions or they take interest in their gifts. Uh, you get treated as if you're just a little bit important. Uh, and hopefully they experience God taking them seriously as well, which is a life-altering experience. You know, so much in the world is dehumanizing. So many people don't take you seriously that it's just great to have a place to enter and get rehumanized a little bit, to get taken seriously at the level of your big God-given purpose. Uh, but here's the thing. Being taken seriously only goes so far unless you take yourself seriously. And that's kind of a separate skill. That's a separate battle. Many of us are self-involved. Far fewer of us are self-secure, right? Some of us are self-involved because we have a hard time taking our purpose and significance seriously. We have a hard time taking ourselves seriously, and therefore we get very self-involved. We have all sorts of thoughts about ourselves, all sorts of justifications and excuses and stuff like that. That's why my question about what Claudette did at the Alhanna group is an interesting question for me. Was she taking herself seriously or not taking herself seriously? Well, she wasn't being overly self-involved, was she? But she was being very, very self-secure because, well, she knew that God was taking her seriously in that moment, in one way to express it. Okay, well, I think God takes you seriously. I think God takes all of us uh, seriously. Um, and by saying that, I mean, uh, well, taking yourself seriously means believing the importance of your life is bigger than your challenges and fears. The purpose of your life is bigger than whatever challenges and fear, fears that you face in life. And if you believe that's true, that's what I mean by taking yourself seriously. And that's what God wants you to think about yourself and your relationship uh, with him. Um, we've been quoting over the last several weeks uh, lots of quotes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You know, that's the one where he kind of opens up by saying, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And then very shortly after that, he says, so don't worry about anything. Don't worry about what you eat. Don't worry about what you drink. Don't worry about what you wear. Don't worry about money. And a huge part of the Sermon on the Mount is, that, is like that. You guys know uh, some of the scriptures that I'm referring to? If I could paraphrase them, I'd say something like this. 
You are the light of the freaking world. So don't worry about money. There. How is that? That's my modern English translation of the sermon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Very kind. Don't worry about mundane stuff. Don't worry about anything that might derail you. You're more serious than that. You're more important than those things. Or as Jesus says, you know, I mean, God even feeds the sparrows for Pete's sake. God clothes the lilies of the field, right? And you guys are more purpose-driven than they are, less random. You know, you've got an agenda from Father God. So why are you stressing out about stupid things? Why do you think that these are actually limits on your life? Who gave you the purpose? Come on, you're the light of the world. Get back on it. Sermon on the Mount, there, I saved you 17 minutes of reading. Here's the key, cut to the chase. If you want to take yourself seriously in life, if you want to be self-secure in life, then you need to take your purpose seriously. Period. End of chapter. If you want to take yourself seriously, you have to take your God-given purpose seriously. Period. That is one of the fundamentals in life in the kingdom of God. Uh, Or you could say it this way, if you won't take your God-given purpose seriously, then I guarantee you'll never take yourself seriously. Not really. Not really. You may try to take yourself seriously in other ways. You You might try to take yourself seriously based on some identity that you fabricate for yourself or some need that you think is really, really important. Uh, You might try to take yourself seriously on the basis of your desires or your emotions, or you might insist that other people need to take your desires and emotions really, really seriously in order to validate yourself and to feel really, really important. Um, But it, it won't work. That won't really work. Um, A purposeful life is the only sort of secure life in the world. When you feel that you are fulfilling your purpose in the world, only then will you feel secure in a, or significant in a, in a secure way, if you want to think of it like that. Or put even another way, if you don't take yourself seriously, if the spirit of, eh, we'll see, maybe, gets you, then you'll cop out on your purpose. It works the other way too. We become the church that we should be only if bunches of people take themselves seriously according to the purpose that God has for them. So I'm asking you, now that you've considered uh, removing uh, certain limits in your life, do you take yourself seriously? What do you think? Do you take yourself seriously? Or does the spirit of eh have you in life? Are you influenced by purpose or are you influenced by eh? Because I know that you know you have a purpose. It's the spirit of, uh, maybe, that just gets you. Tears us out. It's one of the first mindset attacks of chaos, is to convince you that, uh, you shouldn't really take it too seriously. And it just washes you out. Maybe you've been helped along in that by experiences that you've had or traumas that you've had. Maybe your mom taught you not to take yourself too seriously or your dad taught you not to take yourself too seriously for some reason, maybe because it made them feel a little bit better. Or maybe you have some sort of anti-individuality culture that has gotten into your life and taught you 
that taking yourself seriously is, is too prideful or arrogant or something like that. Or maybe you discovered early on that it was just safest not to take yourself too seriously, not to think too highly of yourself because it protects you from disappointment and effort and stuff like that. Like I say, so many people have not taken you seriously that it can get into your soul. God takes you very seriously, though. And the fact that he designed the universe in such a way that we as individuals have purpose in the world, that we have specific jobs to do, testifies how seriously he takes us. God doesn't just love us because you exist, although that would be enough for him, right? What he's done, he's designed the universe in such a way that you don't just exist, but that you have a specific purpose to accomplish. And in setting the universe up that way, he has signaled to you significance. He has signaled to you that he, he doesn't just love you because you exist, he, he respects you in a way. I think that's one of the big reasons that God partners with us to get things done. He wants us to feel the significance of his relationship with us. So he infuses life with purpose. Those of us who have the hardest time receiving God's love are the ones who have the spirit of eh with respect to our purpose. That's one of the gnarly things that happened. We don't follow our purpose. We don't feel very purposeful. And it erodes our ability to believe in God's love for us. One of the reasons that as a pastor of the church, I really want to get you moving in your purpose. You'll experience God's love more deeply. Not because you will have earned God's love, right? But because you'll realize that God has given you purpose and partners with you and it will fill out your experience of God's love, if that makes sense. All right, let's say you agree with me. It would be a new thing, but let's say that you do. And you say, yes, I want to take my purpose seriously. But how do I know what my purpose is in the world? Uh, we've touched on that question a few, time, a few times over the last several weeks. Um, and mostly I've brushed it off by saying, well, you know, it's not hard to know what your purpose is. But I don't know, let's take five minutes and, and just drill into it a, a little bit. Already you know that you have the purpose of being the light of the world. You have the purpose of being the salt of the earth. Your job is to always be discipling, is to always be influencing the people around you toward God and his love and his purpose for their lives. You should be salt and light when? Where? Okay. How? Pretty much any way that you can come up with. Asking questions is a good way. Uh, we've been over that uh, quite a bit. It gets you into significant conversations in which you can make invitations to the next action step. Remember, we're talking about all this. Those of you who have been hanging around over the last five weeks or, or so. Um, but uh, here are uh, a couple questions that will help you um, drill down to your specific version of being salt and light. We're all called to be salt and light. But when it gets right down to it, we'll all be salt and light in, in specific ways. There's sort of a general way in which we're the light of the world. But God expresses purpose through you in a unique sort of way. I happen to be leading a faith community. Uh, some of you are leading Ohana groups. Some of you are evangelists in the workplace. We all have different modes in which we are light in, in the world. Uh, so here's how you find your specific mode of purpose. A couple simple questions. Question number one, where do you feel God's power? Where do you really feel God's power? Where do you feel the power? 
When I say power, I don't mean security or success or comfort or attention. So where do you feel spiritual power in your life? The question is a little bit subjective, but I think it's a really helpful one. Um, Sonia and I, uh, this week, we're, uh, we're talking uh, with our kids about uh, one of my favorite uh, athletes of all time, Eric Little. He was a runner from Scotland. Chariots of Fire, if you remember that old movie uh, from the 80s about Eric Little. And he was a Christian who made it to the uh, Olympics and then refused to run in the finals in the 100 meter, 100, uh, 100 yards it was then. Um, because they held them on, or actually the, it wasn't the finals, it was the prelims, because they held it on Sunday, and Sunday was the Sabbath. So he walked away from a gold medal to go to church. Yeah. Uh, but there's a, a line in the movie, the best line of the movie, he's, people are asking him, like, why, you know, why don't you make up your mind? Why aren't you, why don't you just become a missionary or become an athlete? How do you how do, you do uh, the two things? He ultimately became a missionary to China. Why do you have to run? Why are you so complicated about this? And his, and his response was, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. It's when I run that I feel the power. There's something about that that releases power and purpose in my life. I just know it. I just know it. So do you have something like that? When I, I, I feel God's pleasure, his joy, his purpose, his blessing, his hand on me, something, something like that. His purpose was running, but he was more than happy to walk away from a chance at a gold medal, uh, even though he was ranked tops in the world. Um, so he was not wedded to a vision of how he was going to run. He was just wedded to the idea of pursuing his purpose. But there are all sorts of examples like this uh, in the Bible. Uh, one of my favorite comes from the life of, of King David. Uh, you know, we think of David being the uh, sort of starting his story uh, when he uh, defeated Goliath on the battlefield. Remember, he went out to the battlefield that day, and uh, he was just a, just a young guy, just a teenager, and so he was like, well, I'll take out this giant, no problem, and everybody was kind of making fun of him, and uh, this was his explanation from 1 Samuel 17. Uh, David uh, explained to Saul, your servant, I, have been keeping my father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he defied the armies of the living God. This tells you everything you need to know about David's mindset. It's like, look, I'm a protector of the flock. That's just, that's just what I do. And when I protect the flock... I have felt God in that. And so this, this is just that in a different style. So it's a nine-foot-tall Philistine giant. No problem. I'm a protector of the flock. Um, you know, get out of my way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do this. Uh, and David, as a protector of sheep, it makes no sense to protect a sheep. Right? He risked his life against a bear to protect a sheep. And then his family killed that sheep and ate it later. Right? The math does not work out. But he found purpose in that. And on the basis of protecting a sheep, uh, he protected the army of Israel from a giant. On the basis of doing that, he led armies against enemies. On the basis of that, he ultimately protected the whole nation of Israel. Whenever he was a warrior protector, David did great. 
and when he stopped being a warrior protector, 2 Samuel 11, at the time when kings go to war, David was at home on his balcony, and what happened? That's when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered her husband. It's when he stopped moving in his purpose that everything fell apart for David, right? He stopped taking his purpose seriously, and it caused a tremendous amount of destruction that would haunt his family uh, for generations. Uh, I think of, of Saul or Paul, the guy that would become Paul. In Acts 9, he's on his way to Damascus to murder himself, some Christians, and uh, Jesus appears to him in the sky and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he has this encounter with the Lord. He becomes blind. He gets uh, taken uh, to Damascus. Finally, a Christian disciple comes and heals him. And, uh, and basically, Saul receives a commission uh, to be an apostle to the Gentiles, to plant churches, to be uh, uh, the first big international missionary uh, of the age. And it says in Acts 9, verses uh, 17 through 22, that uh, after Paul, Saul was healed of his blindness, he got up and immediately began preaching, convincing the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. The line that strikes me was, and Saul became more powerful as he preached says in that passage. As soon as he was turned on to his purpose, he started becoming an incredibly powerful man. And even though he had murdered Christians the previous week, as soon as he realized what his purpose was, he took himself seriously enough to do it. And he became extraordinarily powerful and ultimately changed the world. He was a preacher. He was a contender for truth. That's why he was killing Christians. And as soon as he figured out the truth, that's why he started planting Christian churches. He had the purpose all along. He just found the proper way to apply it. And power was released. I've, I think when Paul started preaching Christ, a lot of things probably clicked for him. Ah, this is what I was after. This is the power um, that was there for me all along. Uh, we could go on and on. Um, I think uh, Antonio has a great story about he, how he came to the Lord. I don't know if you've heard this. I won't put words in his mouth. But he was an actor, and he was invited to do a drama in a church setting. And in that drama, in the course of it, he'll have to tell the story sometimes, it was his first encounter with really hearing from, from the Lord. He found his purpose in a, I don't know, let's just call it a theatrical type, type setting. And whenever he does stuff like that now, I think you feel spiritual power in it. It is just clear right, that that is power release for him. You have to be a little bit careful about this thinking, though, uh, because um, of uh, the confusion between purpose and settings. Like, a lot of people go on short-term mission trips, uh, and they dedicate two weeks of their lives to ministering in some unreached place, and they experience a lot of power doing that, you know, because they're just pursuing ministry in that moment, and they come back and think that, well, for me to be powerful, I have to go to this place and serve. God might be calling to that place and serve, but it might also just be that, well, you finally ministered and it was powerful to you. It's not going to matter where you do it necessarily. Just minister, right? It's not the place. Uh, Or some people have tremendous youth group experiences and then just conclude that they're called to be a youth minister for the rest of their life. Well, you're a youth, so that's where you had your experience of power. Take a step back and think it through a little bit. So I I like to fill this statement in. I feel God's power when I'm doing blank, no matter where, no matter when.
Now some of you, in filling in the blank, just had a, a light bulb moment, like, ah, yes, I think I'm getting warm. I, this, is, this is making a little sense to me. I have felt the surge of the Lord's power as I move in my purpose. We've said all along, in your purpose lies your power in life. If you want a powerful life, find your purpose. It will release it. What I'm saying is, well, when you experience that release of power, stop and look. You might be moving in your purpose. Some of you already have that, and some of you are like, well, I'm not really sure if I've had that. Okay, question number two then. Where is God's sense of invitation? Where is God's invitation strongest right now? He's inviting you somewhere. He's inviting you to participate in something. He's inviting you to show up someplace right now in your life. And when you accept that invitation, it might not lead you directly to your big God-given purpose, but it will lead you to the place where you will best discover the next expression of purpose, the next step. At the very least, the next step on your pathway to purpose will be where God is inviting you to go right now. If you have a strong sense of something the Lord is inviting you to do, chances are that you will experience your purpose in that place. Because God is always trying to get you to move in your purpose now. Not later. Now. Now is the time to move in your purpose. So if God is inviting you to do something, you can pretty much rest assured that you will experience purpose and power in that place. Uh, no matter what it is. I mean, David's first experience of purpose was tending sheep. How exciting is it to tend sheep? Anybody ever tended sheep? That's right. As a culture, we've stamped it out because it's so boring. <laughs> Anybody ever tended cattle or done any work like that? Rode with the herd? I've done a tiny bit. Um, you know, it's not super exciting. It doesn't immediately make you feel significant, you know. You don't have a lot of significant conversations with sheep or cows. You know, when they, they look at you, your heart doesn't melt with their gratitude or anything like that. It just, you know, but that's what David was called to do uh, in that moment of his life. And he found occasion to move in the power of the Lord there by doing it with a full heart. And you know, God might be calling you to tend a flock of sheep. He might be calling you to, I don't know, simply go to an Ohana group, something like that. It doesn't seem hugely romantic and life-changing, but if that's what you feel you should do, you dang well better do it or you will get stuck. Um, he may just be giving you a place to take the next step on your pathway to purpose. Or maybe his invitation is to twist uh, your pathway to purpose a little bit to, to give you a left turn when you thought you were going to turn right. I think of the time in Acts 16 where Paul and his companions were on their way to plant churches in Asia Minor, but roadblocks kept coming up. They couldn't quite make the trip for whatever reason. And then Paul had uh, a vision, a night vision, uh, a dream of a man from Macedonia, a man from Greece, who was waving them to cross the sea and to come over into Greece and Europe. And Paul woke up, you know, the next morning and said, we're not supposed to go deeply into Asia. We're supposed to go over there to Macedonia and to Europe. That's how the church came to Europe. And that's, you know, historically speaking is how a lot of us came to be believers today. Uh, Paul thought his pathway to purpose led 
one way, but he sensed an invitation another way, and you may be experiencing that as well. Take the invitation, and you will probably discover more power, more purpose, uh, if, if you do. <clears throat> Whatever the case, obedience releases power, and obedience releases purpose. Just do it. Move where he leads, and be mindful of your purpose always. But we started this sermon with a meditation on taking yourself seriously, so let me get back to that, and I want to read a familiar story to close. It's from Luke chapter 19. It'll be uh, in your story, on your uh, bulletins in the back and on the big board behind me. It is the story of a man named Zacchaeus. Who knows this story? What do we know about Zacchaeus? He was short. That's right. Can I get a chihu? Anybody, anybody under 5'7 should be excited right now. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. What were tax collectors like? They were thieves. They were mafia bagmen. They were extortionists. They were traitors to their country. They collected taxes for the Romans. And they made their living by collecting more than the Romans asked for. And then they would keep the extra. So they were all con artists and skimmers. And this guy was not just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. He was a mafia don. He was a mafioso. He was, he was the big guy. Uh, ate a lot of uh, spaghetti. They didn't have spaghetti there. I don't know what they ate. Um, but he was uh, wealthy because he was a great criminal. And he wanted to see who Jesus was. Uh, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. And Jesus, uh, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Got no idea how Jesus knew his name. Maybe he'd asked a few questions. And, you know, he, Zacchaeus had such a, a reputation in the town. He figured out who he was. I, I have no idea. But Jesus figured it out some way uh, and said, you, come down. Uh, we're going to have dinner. Uh, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. I mean, Zacchaeus, probably the most famous sinner in town, a traitor, a terrorist, a thief. And Jesus is like, you're the guy I want to hang out with. And it freaks out the people. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. So he makes this public pledge. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save uh, the lost, uh, the screwed up people. In other words, um, one thing I notice about this is that, that at no point does Jesus read Zacchaeus the riot act? At no point does Jesus say, hey, I'm going to come eat at your house and we're going to get you straightened out. At no point does he say, uh, look, I'm going to hang out with you and treat you seriously, provided that you fulfill these requirements. This was just Jesus saying, hey, I'm in your life whether you want it or not. And Zacchaeus responds uh, uh, accordingly. And what I want to focus on today is Zacchaeus's actions. Note that what Zacchaeus does, he gives away half of his possessions to the poor, and then he offers to make 400% restitution 
to anybody that he's cheated. I imagine he's cheated a lot of people. So basically, this guy ba just bankrupted himself. Um, but why does Zacchaeus do that in the story? And Zacchaeus' response, you know, his decision to give away all this money was not a response to Jesus. It was a response triggered by the crowd. Specifically, it was triggered by the crowd not taking him seriously. Right? You following the story? Zacchaeus is having a life-changing afternoon uh, with Jesus, and the people say, uh, this, Jesus can't be serious. This can't be right. I mean, this guy is not to be taken seriously. In essence, that, that's what they were saying. And so how does Zacchaeus respond to that? He stands up and he says, I am too important. He stands up and says, you have hurt my feelings. He stands up and says, Jesus loves me. You should love me too. No, none of that happens. What he does is he stands up and he decides to do something purposeful. He decides that he will treat himself seriously. He decides to move in his purpose. He's got this intuition. He's got this understanding that if I do something purposeful with my life, that settles everything. That cuts through history, trauma, reputational crap, everything. I'm just going to cut to the chase. If Jesus treats me seriously, I will pursue purpose. If Jesus treats me seriously, I will pursue purpose. Let's just say that together. If Jesus treats me seriously, I will pursue purpose. He does this so well that he becomes famous in the early church. Uh, you can mention the name Zacchaeus, evidently, and everybody would know it. Uh, he's included uh, in, in the gospel stories. When the crowd doesn't take him seriously, when the crowd questions Jesus taking him seriously, Zacchaeus takes himself seriously by moving out in his purpose. Notice that he doesn't just like repent in the classical sense. He doesn't just say, oh, I'm sorry for stealing your money. Here, let me pay you back. No, the first thing he says is, I'm going to give half of what I own to the poor. He, he isn't just apologizing with his money. He's becoming a justice warrior. He's realized something. It's like, I have treated money as important. That's only half of my purpose. Now I'm going to treat money as important, but not to make myself wealthy. I'm going to treat money as important in order to empower the poor. Half of what I have right now, I'm going to use to bless the poor and to build them up. And that's going to be my life. I'm going to put everything I have behind it. That's awesome. That's awesome. We don't give Zacchaeus enough credit. The dude was a, was a, a purpose-driven man from the first afternoon that he felt God treated him with any seriousness. My life is now about something, he said. Boom! And if we just had the boldness to do that, it would cut through so much crap in life. My life is now about something, and this is what I'm going to do. Now, boom! Salvation flows. The village is changed. Light happens. And that's just it. Pursuit of purpose cuts through so much stuff. So, I am contending against the, ah, uh, whatever spirit. Against the, eh, spirit which is exactly the spirit that Zacchaeus just blew away in the story. Jesus kind of helped, but I'm contending against the, oh, we'll see, spirit. Um, 
because, you know, I'm, I'm contending for life. That's, that's what I do. It's part of my purpose. Or we could frame it this way. Are you having trouble taking yourself seriously? Have you drifted into a little stagnation in life? Have you drifted into a little bitterness? Maybe even a little self-hatred? Um, are you a little blah? Ah, eh. Maybe uh, you're in a little depression, and you can't really pin it down. You can't really say what it's rooted in. It's just kind of a fog on you. Um, or maybe you just have an abiding dissatisfaction in life with, I don't know, everything, you know? Um, the th- that, that, that dissatisfaction in life that just kind of sits in the, in the chest or, or in the stomach and, you know, it's always just a little bit heavy, um, a little bit unsettling. Maybe you have a perpetual sense that you just can't quite get it figured out. Maybe you don't even know how to define it, but it's just like, uh, it's not working. Life isn't firing. If that's you, then I think probably that eh spirit has you by the throat. And my tender, healing advice to you would be, do your job. Do your job. You might need to find your job, but get on that. There is a pathway to purpose. We've been talking about it. And if necessary, you can find your purpose. Go to the place where you feel power or go to the place where you feel God's invitation right now. God is super serious about you pursuing purpose. I have 100% confidence that you will find it if you just don't give in to all the nonsense. Just that, eh, whatever. If you don't give in to that, yeah, you know, you'll, you'll find it. And just hide behind the fog of not taking yourself seriously. That excuse should not work anymore. We, us, you, are the realest people on earth. I think we're the realest people on earth. I think this is the realest place on earth right here. The realest thing that we could do is this kingdom purpose stuff. This kingdom is where Sirius lives. Right here. In this house. uh, On this mission. And you can't get up tomorrow and just go out there and be a clerk or a lawyer or a housewife or a house husband or a, or a student. You can't just go out there and be a successful business person because if that's all you do, then you will feel sick before too long. You will start to feel a little bit, eh, and you'll be tempted to accept the sickness. You can't just do that. I know you. It won't work. You will start to feel that dissatisfaction in, in, in your gut. You're far more serious than being a clerk or a lawyer or a house husband or a housewife or a student or, or whatever. You're more serious than that. But you can be a clerk with purpose. You can be a lawyer with purpose. You can be a house husband or a housewife with purpose. That's different. But you have to know what your big God-given purpose is. You are a compelling and powerful person because you have a big God-given purpose. So let's revisit to close our limits, our two statements. Take a look at at those things again. You know, are you too blank? Is your situation too this? Is your 
job to that? Is your spouse to such and such? Is your living situation to blank? I mean, what is it? Because Zacchaeus was not too disreputable to move in his life. Uh, He did not have too much at stake. He did not face too much opposition. Uh, The woman at the well, we talked about her uh, recently. She wasn't too disreputable to go back to her village and declare that she had met the Messiah and to start off revival in her whole town, even though they had all rejected her previously. King David wasn't too weak in front of Goliath. No two statements in that guy's game. Saul was not too religious to change his mind and to start preaching Jesus. They all had an experience with God, and suddenly the limits didn't mean what they used to mean for them. And they acted as if they were worthwhile people of power. An encounter with God will do that to you. 